Roman Gabriel Show. A lot of guys are motivated by a lot of different things. What was your motivation at that time in terms of wanting to be great and wanting to be, you know, the Eric Dickerson that everybody knows? My dad had a saying to me, and I'll never forget it. He said, son, all that you do, do with your might. Things done by halves are never done right. I always want to be the best at all costs. That's the way I played. He said, if you're going to be a janitor, Eric, he said, you be the best janitor there is. If you're going to be a gardener, you be the best gardener there is. That was my dad's motto. My dad was the best man that I ever knew, still to this day. And that's why I played football. That's why I lived my life. People who know me know exactly what kind of person I am. If you ask me a question, I'm going to give you the truth. What my, what my truth is, even about myself, you know, I don't pull punches, not even on me, because he taught me, he said, son, the truth is not popular all the time, but it is the truth. And I live by that motto. It really is. And people don't like the truth sometimes. They don't want to hear it. I mean, they don't. But that's just the fact. So for me, you might thought it was, I was motivated by money. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to get paid right. For sure. I just wanted, I mean, that's fair. Welcome to the Roman Gabriel Show. Faith, family, sports. Roman goes up close and personal with high-impact difference makers from the world of sports and entertainment. Get more exclusive content at www.romangabrielshow.com. Now, here's your host, Roman Gabriel. Welcome to a new edition of the Roman Gabriel Show. Coming in with me, he's one of the great running backs in NFL history. He's Los Angeles Rams Pro Football Hall of Famer, Eric Dickerson. He rushed for over 13,000 yards in his 11-year career. He still holds the NFL's single-season rushing record with 2,105 yards, breaking O.J. Simpson's record. The playoff single-game record with 248 yards. He was named to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1999. This guy was one of the most powerful combinations of speed, agility, and size that you'll ever see in a running back ever since Jim Brown. Of course, he's famously known with Craig James making up the Pony Express at SMU. He was a first-round pick in the NFL draft to the Los Angeles Rams when he quickly became one of the most feared running backs in the NFL. I sat down with Eric to talk to him about his new book, Watch My Smoke. It's a memoir of his life, his NFL life, his family life, his beginnings in a small high school in Sealy, Texas, all the way to the NFL. Enjoy this interview with the great Eric Dickerson. And remember, for all of your sports entertainment content, Check out our website at romangabrielshow.com. That's romangabrielshow.com. Check us out on streaming television at dbnatelevision.tv or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Roman Gabriel Show. Romangabrielshow.com. Streaming on dbnatelevision.tv. And uh, I'm excited, as always, to, uh, to have a great Ram Hall of Famer, College Football Hall of Famer, Pro Football Hall of Famer, one of the greatest football players of all time. Forget about, you know, in the conversation with greatest running backs, but uh, great to have Eric Dickerson with us on the Roman Gabriel Show. Eric, how are you, buddy? Good. How are you doing, Roman? Thank you for having me. 
Hey, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I'm glad you've got this book out, Watch My Smoke. And uh, I am sure uh, I obviously have read some of the pre-information about your book. And uh, But I'm going to ask you this again. Why, why did you wait so long to write it? Well, I don't know. You know, I think I'll say this. I think uh, God's time is a perfect time. I think if I wrote this book uh, 25 years ago, I don't think it would have been like it is right now. This is very, it's very popular. I mean, the players are talking about it. The people are talking about it. Uh, the reporters are talking about it because back then we had no voice. You know, as a player, we had no voice. You know, if, if the reporters wrote something, it was true. That's what they thought it was true. And most of them report something that's not true. Most of us is lie. A lot of the time, it's lies. You know, they will make stuff up. I'll never get a reporter wrote something on me one time, and he put some of the things I said, and then I'll never forget. He put in quotation marks, but this is what he really means, and went on to say what he thought I meant. You know, and so like I'm like, wow. So he's a mind reader too, and I think that um, you know we didn't have social media, we didn't have uh, Instagram, you know, Twitter, and sometimes it's good and bad it depends on how you use it. But I just felt like the timing was right. Um, and um, like I said, God's time is always the right time. Who was, well, who were the running backs that you looked up to in the NFL when you were coming out? Uh, my favorite back was OJ because that's why I played running back because of him. I liked Earl Campbell. You know, I liked Walter. Uh, so I never saw Jim Brown play, but, you know, heard of Jim Brown. I'm Jim, a friend of mine. Uh, but I got to say, Roman, I never. I like well, I also like Billy Sims because I like the way his towel, like Charlie White, the way he spat his shoes. But I never like mimic anyone. Like I like I didn't like say that's my. I'm trying to make my style like that. My style was my style. It, it was. I mean, and and I wore I wore, I wore odd number. I didn't want to. I didn't want to. I was going to ask you that. Why'd you wear 19? I I, I didn't want to be like everybody. I didn't want to have 32, 34. I wanted to have a different. I wanted to make my own legacy you know that, that's i mean like but once again goes back to what my dad said said you want to be the best son and that was my thing and you know the, the number 29 i mean when i got to the pros and i got to the rams um you might remember mr mr hewitt at the rams yeah. um I, they, they asked me what number i wanted i said i went 19 that's you can't wear 19 son so that's a quarterback i said okay i said what numbers you have they said that 25 they had 32 34 and i think 44 and 29. And so I said, well, I'll just take number 25. So I took 25 and I got in my phone. If you look at the LA Times, when I got drafted, I'm holding up number 25 on draft day. That's the number I'm holding. Um, so when I get back to the SMU, I go back to that night, flew back, back, flew back to Dallas. My best friend picked me up and we're still best friends to this day. He said, man, so what number did you take? I said, I took number 25 and I'll never get his reply. 25? Why'd you take that? That's, that's a slow-ass number. Why'd you take that number? And I told him the story. I said, what number he said, why'd you take 29? I'm like, man, you're right, man. He said, it's close to 19, you know? Yeah. Oh. So, I never, so that night, I could not hardly sleep. Couldn't hardly sleep that night. I woke up the next morning early. Called the Rams facility. I said, I'm going to speak to Mr. Hewitt. He said, uh, okay. So I said, Mr. You know, Mr. 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 Hewitt. Uh, I said, Mr. Hewitt, I want to change my number. He said, well, Eric, he said, I'm sorry, son. He said, you got number 25. You're holding LA Times. And, you know, we can't switch numbers like that. I said, well, you know what? I'm not coming in. He said, okay, you'll be 29. You'll be number 29. <laughs> so, that's, so that's how I became 29. 
Well, you know, those athletic, those guys that do the equipment are really, really kind of guard that equipment there. They guard it. I mean, you know, you can't get nothing. You know, a Swiss <laughs> nothing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So this is what, this is what I know everybody wants to know. So what, what was the reasoning behind you wearing just about every pad known to man and the goggles? Um, well, first of all, the goggles were for, I'm, I'm blind as a bat. I mean, every time you see me with got glasses, they're for seeing purposes. They're not okay. any cool. I can't see. And I was like that as a kid. I had, you know, glasses since I was in, I think, honestly, like fourth grade. Um, the pads, man, I, I just, I didn't, I didn't want to take all that, that contact. I wanted to pad up everything. I wore everything. I wore the reinforced shoulder pads. I had to web under my shoulder pads. I wore the flag jacket. I wore a thigh pad. I wore a butt pad. I wore a knee pad. I wore a hip pad. I had to had to, to shin guards at one point. I had the elbow pads. I mean, I had everything. I mean, that's just the way. And and it didn't it didn't bother me. It didn't it didn't weigh me down. Well, I was going to say, did anybody did any coach or anybody come to you go, hey, you, don't you think that's going to slow you down a little bit? No, they didn't. Uh, they didn't slow me down. It didn't. It didn't bother me. I mean, it was it was it was it, it was actually just. It's like when uh, it was, I mean, I felt like, it felt like when uh, there's something on your shoulders and some pants. That's how it felt like. Other stuff never bothered me because I, you know what? Because I did it all through college. So I got used to it. So when you came to the Rams, they had an excellent offensive line, they had a big offensive line. Uh, you know, Rich Saul's, the Jackie Slaters, the, you know, you go down, go down the line of this offensive line. How, how excited were you to? get in that eye formation and play behind that offensive line? Well, coming to the Rams, I'll tell you one reason I wanted to play for the Rams once again, going back to being a kid, you know, I like that horn. I love the, 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 the horn. I'm like, man, I I like to get drafted by the Rams. <laughs> Just, uh, that's why I wanted to play, because of, of, of the helmet. And when I got there, you know, they said, you know, Rams don't have a great offensive line, you know, and that, that, was, that was great news to me. I mean, uh, you know, the Jackie Slaters, they can't hear. Rich Hall wasn't there. He was gone. Um, yeah, David Hill, um, Kim, um, who else? Um, God, I can't think of my center's name right now. I'm just, I, had, I had a great, I had a great offensive line. And Doug Smith, Doug Smith, um, um, Eric Pankey. I mean, we had, we had such a good line and I was, I didn't realize how good they were until, you know, you start playing, you know, and, and, and how good Hudson Howe was, the offensive, I mean, the, the offensive line coach. Because he took, he took pride in his offense. He took pride in coaching his offensive line. He, he was the same coach that went to Dallas Cowboys, that great offensive line. And, man, the thing with them is, is that they didn't want to get me hit the least amount, of, least amount as possible. And, and my thing was, I just said, just get me past the line of scrimmage. I said, just, 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 just give me that unimpeded, and I'll do the rest. And that was kind of our deal. And, and, and you know, they, they were great for me, and I was great with them. Eric Dickerson, Los Angeles Rams, on the Roman Gabriel Show, RomanGabrielShow.com. And, well, it, it would be remiss not to go back. Small town, Sealy, high school career. You know, I've talked to so many former uh, Texas high school football players over the years. And for people that aren't in Texas, Eric, and who have not experienced Texas high school football, tell me about that, what it was like at your time to play in Texas. Well, I'll give you just a quick example of a couple of them. Um, we won out, we won a state championship in my town. For my town, it's only two, it was only like 2,500 people in my hometown, Sealy, Texas. And we played it at Waco, Baylor State in uh, Waco, Texas. And like I said, it's only 2,000 people in my town. 
It was 30,000 people at a high school football game, a two-way high school football game. Now, how do you explain that? I mean, that just goes to show you. And that was back in 1979. And it's even bigger now. I mean, when you go through, I was just in Texas um, last week and I was up in Houston and uh, my buddy and I said, man, don't you look over there, look at those two high school stadiums. I mean, and they were, they look like small college stadiums. They really did. And, they, and the, the killing part is, Rome, they were probably only about a half a mile from each other because it's, the, it's, a, it's another, it's a big school over here, Katie, and it's another Katie school over here. And I said, they filled up, he said, they filled those stadiums up. I mean, he said, and, and it probably held about 30, 40,000 people. And Texas high school football is nothing like it. I mean, you become a star even before you become a star in college or pros in, in Texas high school football. Eric Dickerson is with me on the Roman Gabriel show. And uh, Eric, when was the first time that you really became interested in playing football? Uh, when, I was in, when I was a kid, I went to play. We, we didn't have uh, Pop Warner. You know, we didn't, we didn't have that kind of stuff. So I had to wait till I got into seventh grade to play uh, organized football. And that's the first time I played organized football in seventh grade. Hold on. Stop barking. <laughs> I, I have talk. a dog. I know what that's like. I got a guy, and I got a guy here working, so he's barking. Um, so that's when the first time I played high school football. I mean, organized football in seventh grade. I remember the game. We played the Wall of Bulldogs. We were supposed to play them on a Thursday. That's when, that's when seventh grade played. And it got rained out, so we had to play Saturday morning. Man, I was so nervous. I'm like, golly, but I was so excited about it. And uh, it was it was still like a, a cloudy day, cloudy morning. It was like early in the morning, like 10 o'clock in the morning. And uh, I was on kickoff and punt, punt, punt team. And uh, they kicked off and I ran the kickoff back. And I had six touchdowns that day. And I just fell in love with football at that, at that point on. How big were you in seventh grade when you started? Uh, I was probably about... Six foot tall, almost six foot tall and seven. I was tall. I was really tall. Maybe five, eleven, six. Yeah, right, right. Six foot tall because uh, I won't forget. I, when I went to the theater, went to the movies, and they didn't believe I was twelve years old. I had to take my birth certificate and show them, and, and that's that's how tall I was. Were you always uh, as fast as you were in college and, and, and pro football? Even in seventh grade, did people notice your speed and your size? Yeah, yeah, they did. They noticed it. My, my, I was, I was always proud of my speed. I mean. Um, I was always fast, you know, tall. I was tall and lean, but I was always, I was always really fast. I was, I was in seventh grade, and I could outrun most of the 98 percent of the kids in high school in seventh grade. Now, your aunt was a huge, huge uh, uh, influencer in your life. Did she support your football? Well, my great great aunt who raised me, uh, she didn't like football. No, she didn't like football. She didn't want me to play football. She uh, she didn't sign for me to play at first. As a matter of fact, my my godmother who lived right across from us, you know, about sixty yards away, she said, "I'm not going to sign. I don't want to play that sport. That sport is too dangerous. It's too rough, and I'm not going to do it. You have to have somebody sign for you." So she said, "Go ask your godmother." So I went and asked my godmother, and she said, "I never get her reply." She said, "That's a dangerous sport, son. You sure you want to play?" I said, "Yes, ma'am." And she, because the kind of mother read, because she was really light. And they said, Red won't sign for the place. I said, No, ma'am. She said, You sure? I said, Yes, ma'am. And she signed me to play. And I don't care when I went back and took it to my mother. She like, She signed that paper? She was mad that she signed it. So that's how I got a chance to play football. Well, if you look at uh, your high school career, when was the first time that you were noticed by major colleges? I guess probably when I was a junior. I mean, I'm thinking, I mean, I think people, they were talking about me as a sophomore. But when I was a junior, I think in high school, you know, it was just a different time than it is now. You know, they know about kids that are freshmen. 
but as a junior, because I'm from a small town, you know, right outside of Houston. But I tell you this story. Um, it was a guy. So I went to. I went. To, I, I quit playing high school football because I didn't like my high school coach. I quit my sophomore year, and um, a guy came over. His name was James Abernathy. We called him Shaq, and he was a he was a big sports. He's a big sports advocate. He just loves sports. And he was from another town over called Bookshire Water. And he said, he came over to my house. Uh, and, he, and he pulled up. And, he, and my mother said, hey, Shaq's outside. And I walked up and said, hey, Shaq. He said, what's up? He said, hey, Mr. Dickerson, how you doing? He said, hey, Shaq. I said, you mind if I talk, take Eric and talk to him for a minute? I said, sure, take him and talk to him. So I got in the car with him. He rode around. And he, and he said, I heard you quit football, man. I said, yeah, man, that man's prejudice. I said, I don't like him. I said, none of us. I said, he treats us badly. And, um, he said, and he just let me talk. And finally, he said, he said, let me ask you a question, son. He said, what do you see in this town? I said, nothing. He said, Eric, right, there's nothing in this town. There's one red light, there's nothing here. He said, let me tell you something, son. He said, you're 16 years old. He said, you're one of the best athletes we've ever seen in these parts. Now I'm 16, you know, the kid, I'm like, what? Wow. He, said, he, said, he, said, he said, this could be your way out of here, Eric. I'm telling you. He said, you should just go back and play. He said, in spite of him, he said, look, if you don't like him, he said, come over to Bookshire and play, play, play. Books, we love to have you over here. So when they took me back home, my mother asked us, what did Shaq talk to you about? And I told her, she said, well, Eric, you know, I don't like football. I don't like that sport. She said, but I don't want you to, I don't like you quitting either. She said, so if you want to go and play, she said, I'll most definitely drive you to Bookshire. Because Bookshire was like 13 miles away from where we live. Or I can drive you to, to Belleville. Because I wasn't going to play in Belleville. That was a rival. I couldn't do that. So I said, okay, so. By that time, the coach came. He talked to each kid in the business because my best friend called me and said, Eric, some minutes. He's uh, Rap Harris came to your house. I said, no, he said, he's on his way. He's coming by every, all the black players' houses and talking to him. So he came by my house and talked to me. And I said, I'm thinking about coming back and playing. So, but I did, all of us did, we went back and played, played high school football. And, you know, in, in, in spite of him, you know, and it's, it's not a feel good story, one of the feel good stories. Um, we won a state championship our senior year. We won a state championship because that was the class that, in my seventh, eighth grade year, that people thought was going to win a state championship, and we won our first state championship with that class. Um, but that's how I went back and played football. From you know, he passed away. My friend, um, you know, James Abner, you know, and, and that's funny. Just how he saw something that I didn't see in myself. Eric Dickerson with us uh, wrote his book, "Watch My Smoke," and you can get it anywhere Amazon, anywhere books are sold, and on audio as well as reading hard, hardback, softback. Uh, Eric, you were running track at that time too, right? Uh, yeah, I ran track. So what was what 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 were the what were your favorite what were your favorite track uh, events? Well, I ran I ran hundred and two hundred. I won the state in hundred and uh, in the state in two hundred. And in Texas, you got to be able to run to do that, you know. So I, I was extremely fast. Uh, I love hundred. I love hundred. I love two hundred. The funny thing is, I'm, I have a nine year old son, and he's just like me. He loves track and football. Those are his two sports. Uh, he runs the same race I ran, the two hundred. He loved those two races. I just felt like I was, and I was, I was dominant in those races, um, being tall and lean, and you know, and I had a great start. So you know, those are my races. Well, you had to be a little bit intimidating to the people you're running against with your size, right? And your and your well, your stride. Well, I'm gonna tell you something. There was a lot of guys that that that, that were faster than me before. I, it was one guy in particular that I could not outrun. You know, it was it was until my junior year I ran I, I raced I ran him. I raced to come in seventh grade all the way to my junior. I could not run. A guy named John Jackson uh, out of Belleville, Texas, and that was our rival. And man, it was frustrating. And I won't forget my dad would tell me before he passed away. He said, "Son," he said, "Eric," he said, "Just wait and see. Your body's not developed yet." Because he, he, John was a little more muscular than I was. 
He said, you still tall and lanky. He said, just wait. He said, these kids won't be able to outrun you. Just, just give it some time. And he was right. I never forget. Uh, it was at the district meet that uh, my, my dad had passed away. That I raised him in the district. I'd raised him all year and I had the best time uh, that, that, that year. I got the district meet in the, in the semifinals. He had the best time in the 100. I think he ran it. It was like a 9-6 or something like that. And I'd been like a 9-7-5. So, and then that, you know, he's just good enough to get into, get into the finals. And, and, and in the, in the, in the uh, finals, they put us right next to each other. Right next to next, right next to one another, and uh, I don't forget the first. You know, he really said I, I jumped, and then you know, then next time he jumped, <laughs> and they said the next person jumped, you know, disqualified because that time you could have three jumps, you, three people could you know get up two jumps, and the last third person you were out. So I sit in the blocks, man. It was frustrating. I sit in the blocks, and he jumped out on me. He jumped out on me, and I ran him down. And from that point on, he never beat me again. And that was kind of, I, and I thought about my dad. Said he, was, he, was, he had passed away. He said, son, it's going to come a time when they won't be able to run you anymore. Your body will be developed. And that was the time. Okay, so the, South, the Southwest Conference was, was huge back then. Um, you obviously had offers to go a whole lot of great places. What was the biggest decision for you in terms of choosing SMU? Uh, it was my my mother was the reason I went to SMU. I mean, that was the main reason I went to go to OU. That's why I went to go to college. Um, and um, I loved OU. I came. My first visit was to USC. I liked USC. Loved Southern California. Scared as heck. I don't know what come from a little town in Um, uh, But it was just a little too far. But I went to OU on a visit. Man, met a girl there. Just got in love with the university. I'm like, oh, this is where I want to go to college. Uh, but my mother, like, I never forget. She's like, "Look, boy," she said, "You a Texas boy? How you want to go to Oklahoma? You won't, you won't, you won't live in no Oklahoma." <laughs> and I'm like, "But I like the school." And I never get that. Barry Switzer came. He came to my state championship game. They recruited me, and uh, and I, they came to the house and they talked, and you know, and, you know, he showed the, the highlight tape. They won the Orange Bowl, and she said to me when they walked out, I, "I committed to him. I committed to OU." And when they walked out, she said, "If you're not going to school there." I'm like, Mom, I just committed. She said, I don't care. She said, you're not going to school. I said, I don't trust that man. He's a liar. You're not going to school now. Bam. I just told him that, what am I going to do? So I, you know, I had to try to go, go around that. And then, uh, and see, Texas, see, it seems an Aggie time, a real Aggie time. And I committed to A&M, too. Later, I didn't know about A&M. And it's funny how as a kid, you do things that you think about that you don't like that make you not want to do something. And I think about it, I'm a kid. And that was, I did not like their uniforms. I didn't like that guy with the big chin, the, the Aggie. I'm like, uh-uh, I can't, I, can't, I can't do this. And I didn't like they didn't have chili, they had Yale leaders. I'm like, I just can't go there. But so after that, I mean, I didn't say right away, but I just kind of hung on to it. But my mother loved Ron Meyer. She liked Coach Meyer. And uh, that's the reason I went to SMU is because of, you know, her and, going, and Coach Meyer. And I got to say that, it's the best decision she made for me. I'll never forget she said a couple of things. She said, you're a Texas boy. She said, you stand in the state of Texas. She said, look, she said, all those schools like Oklahoma and SC, they have a, they have their guys. You know, they're, they're superstars. She said, go to SMU and make something. Make, you know, and they'll be talking about y'all forever, Eric. She said, you'll be the first. You know, they'll be, you know, you have your own history there. And Rona, she's right. I mean, they still talk about the Pony Express like it just happened yesterday. And it's been, 30 years ago. Well, you and Lance McElhaney, the quarterback, and uh, Craig James, and 
what was it like playing with Craig James, Eric, to have two guys that were as highly touted as both of you guys? Was was there any tension at all, or, or did you guys get along from the start? Not between me and Craig. You know, it was just, you know, the, the media tried to make something out of it. The papers did. They tried to, you know, pit us against each other, tried to make it where, um, you know, they, they didn't say black, white. They made a black, white thing. They didn't say in those many words, you know, because Craig was come from a four-way school. And I was from a two-way school. I had never did a weight program. So Craig was more, you know, developed, more, more muscular than I was. And, you know, and I, and I wasn't. And so, um, you know, I got there. I got hurt quite a bit. I had, my freshman year, I had a, you know, tur- I mean, I had a thigh, I had a thigh bruise, I had a hamstring, shoulder, you know, just all the ankle. I had all, you know, just nagging stuff. And Craig played pretty, played pretty well. I played the guy. I remember I had 477 yards, I think six touchdowns. And Craig had almost 800 some yards, almost double what I had. And, and, the, and the writers were saying they should take my scholarship. I was a bust, you know. I'm thinking I'm a freshman, <laughs> but, but but I'm a bust. I mean, I mean that that was disheartening to me. I mean because you know I won't forget I didn't really read the paper because Ron had kind of taught us that. Stay out there, stop reading the paper. Stop, you start reading your clips, you start believing that stuff. You can tell they'll turn on you. And, that's, and that was true because they turned on me big time. And, 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 and it, was, it was, you know, the thing I think that hurt the most was I didn't really read it, but my mother would read it. Yeah. And she would tell me what they were saying. And I always tell people this, you know, you can, you can hate on someone and all that kind of, ah, he's this, he's that. But imagine if that's your kid and they're not the person you say they are. Or, or you know, they're not this bad person that you try to make them out like I know my son. I know I know I know I know his shortcomings. I know he's not like that. And that that was the thing that hurt because it was hurting her. And that 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 made me that pissed me off. That's why I never liked to meet you. Sure. And uh so finally, you know, I just, you know, played through it and I'm, but I went to transfer. I went to transfer. My son, my sophomore year, I went to transfer. I, I was going I called Oklahoma from the from the from my dorm, University of Oklahoma. And I asked to speak to Coach Switzer. I never forget the checker, just his secretary that transferred, transferred me to his secretary. And she said, Who's calling? And I never said, I didn't say anything. So who's calling? So I hung up. I said, I'm going to wait till I go home. I talked to my mom. I get back to see me. I said, Mom, I said, uh, I'm going to talk to you about something. She said, Yeah. I said, I want to transfer. And I never forget her reply. She said, What's well, it, your ass down? She said, what are you talking about? I said, I want to train. I want to go to Oklahoma. She said, boy, she took a piece of paper and put a line down the middle. She put SMU and others. She said, okay, so you have a scholarship at SMU. Yes, ma'am, I do. Are you guaranteed a scholarship at Oklahoma? What are the, that's an X, that's a check. She said, so are you playing at SMU? Yeah, I'm playing, but I ain't playing. Okay, that's a check, and that's an X on the other side. I mean, so make a long story short. By the time she finished, it was all checks on the SMU side, and it was all X on she didn't put uh, Oklahoma, she just put other. She said, boy, take your ass back to SMU. And so, uh, I, you know, I, I listened to my mother, so I went back. And, and, and the rest is history. She was right. I mean, it, it worked out. Hey everybody, this is Roman Gabriel, host of the Roman Gabriel Show. You know, our mission is much larger than providing you an entertaining podcast. Our country faces an ongoing crisis of underage youth battling alcohol and drug addiction, and a rising suicide rate. This problem impacts all of us and our families. Our nonprofit, the Sold Out Youth Foundation, has been my passion since 2003, impacting hundreds of thousands of middle and high school students, challenging them to an alcohol and drug-free life, while providing a life-changing interactive online education platform, teaching students valuable life skills, 
and success principles equipping them to pursue their passion and dreams. I need your help. Our program is successful because of people just like you who financially support our movement. Please give safely and easily today by going to our website at soldouttv.com. That's soldouttv.com and click on the red donate button. Or right now on your cell phone, text soldout20 to 484848. That's soldout20 to 484848. All donations are 100% tax deductible. And believe me, any amount will help. Your generous gift can help one more child stay on the right path to health, wellness, and success. Thank you, and be sold out. Welcome back to the Roman Gabriel Show. Faith, family, sports. Roman goes up close and personal with high-impact difference makers from the world of sports and entertainment. Get more exclusive content at romangabrielshow.com. Now, here's your host, Roman Gabriel. Eric Dickerson's with us, Pro Football Hall of Famer on the Roman Gabriel Show, romangabrielshow.com. And uh, Eric, uh, I was going to ask you based upon, you know, because I did wonder about, you, you had this, I guess, stigma at the time where people talked about you being more uh, malcontent and, and not easy to deal with. And so do you think that that time at SMU kind of set this stage for you before you went to the NFL about trusting the media, correct? Is that right? That's perfect. That's that's it. That's set, that's set the stage. I never trusted the media at that point. And, you know, they made me out to be this bad guy, the malcontent. Uh, uh, I forgot some other name that kind of I never heard of. Um, and like I say, it really disturbed my mother because she said, I know how you, you're not that guy. You're not that person because all I wanted was to get paid right. And I wasn't like trying to make a big deal. But I just said, I want to be paid right. I mean, I'm not getting paid right. I mean, I'll give you an example. A good example. John Elway was the first pick in the draft. I was the second pick. John Elway got a million dollar signing bonus. And I think he was making, I don't know, base salary, almost a million a year. I got a $600,000 signing bonus that was a loan. Now I said it was going to be a loan. I had to pay it back. And then my salary, was, my base salary was one fifty. So how is that? That's not even fair. I mean, and, and make a long story, I had to end up paying my signing bonus back. It was just, I was in my yard for 2,000 yards. I was making 175. I mean, guys who were third-round draft picks were making more money than I was. You so know, you're in the 84, you're in the 84 draft. 83. Uh, 83, 83, I'm sorry. The first year of the USFL. Uh, right. Did you, did, did you think seriously about the USFL uh, with the money that they were paying a lot of guys to lure them away from the NFL? I got drafted to the USFL. And they actually yeah, offered me about the same money the NFL offered. But my mother asked me one question. She said, which one has been around longer? I said, the NFL. She said, go to the NFL. They're going to be there. And that was good advice again. She always gave me good advice, I got to say. So that is, and then, like I said, the media. And then when I came from my, I came from my press conference. One guy asked me this question. He said, so are you going to be the savior of the Rams? I'm like, man, I'm no savior. I was just coming to play football. <laughs> I mean, you know. Uh, to me, I didn't think I'd get an answer they wanted. And it was just, I just never, I just never liked the media. I just never trusted the media because I had seen what, what the, the the stereotypes they put on players and what they'd say about it. It wasn't true. I mean, like me, like I said, you know, they said stuff about me that wasn't even close to my, when my wasn't close to my character. Well, you were the NFL Rookie of the Year in 1983, had an incredible first season. 
And uh, as you said, there's a lot of pressure on you uh, coming to the Rams to to help the Rams get back, you know, where everybody expected. Did a lot of guys are motivated by a lot of different things. Um, what what was your motivation at that time in terms of wanting to be great and wanting to be, you know, the Eric Dickerson that everybody knows? My dad had a saying to me, and I'll never forget it. He said, son, all that you do, do what you might. Things done by halves are never done right. I always want to be the best at, at all costs. That was, that was, that was, that's the way I played. I mean, from, he, he said, if, if you're going to be a janitor, he said, you'll be the best janitor there is. If you're going to be a gardener, you'll be the best gardener there is. That was my dad's motto. My dad was the best man that I ever knew till to this day. And that's how I, that's how I played football. That's how I live my life. People who know me know exactly what kind of person I am. If you ask me a question, you know, I'm going to give you the truth. What my, what my truth is, even about myself, you know, I don't pull punches, not even on me because, you know, he taught me, he said, son, the truth is not popular all the time, but it is the truth. And I live by that motto. It really is. And people don't like the truth sometimes. They don't want to hear it. I mean, they don't, but that's just the fact. So for me, you know, you might, you might thought it was, I was motivated by money. I want money. I want to be the best. I want to be the best. I want to get paid right. For right. sure. I just want, I mean, that's, 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 that's fair. You but, you were you were there you were at that time right before things really started taking off. Uh, oh yeah, for for players. So obviously, you know, today it would be monumental that you know obviously oh, the yeah. money you would make. Tell me about the magical season. Uh, obviously, OJ Simpson was a guy you looked up to greatly. OJ had an incredible run uh, with uh, holding that record for single season, and was that a record that you thought about? consciously or did that year just go so well for you that at some point you said hey i can do this no i wanted that record because i i'd rushed for two thousand yards uh in high school and junior high too but you don't really know you know keep up stats like in junior high but in high school i did it twice so when i came to usc to visit usc and i, I saw oj he was doing something for for the game they were playing the rose bowl game they were playing michigan and i started practice and i'm like i told some of the guy that's oj I'm going to go say something to him. And they're like, man, no, I said, man, I'm, I'm just going to go say hi. So I walked over to him and I said, I introduced, I introduced myself to Simpson. I'm Eric Dixon. So how you doing there, man? They recruited me. I said, yes, sir. I said, where are you from? I said, I'm from Texas. Um, what position? I said, running back. And I told him, I said, I play my I'm a fan of his. And I said, I'd like to break your record one day. He said, okay, well, good luck with that. <laughs> so, you know, I, you know, it was just, I just wanted to say something. But, you know, when I got to the NFL and we came close out of my first year, we came eight, got 200 some yards away from my first year, and had 1,808 yards as a rookie. And next year, I wanted that record. I mean, and not just me, the offensive line wanted it too. The team wanted it. You know, that was, that was a goal for the for our football team. And uh, it started off slow, started off slow. Then I got hurt, hurt my toe. Had a toe injury. I didn't think I'd be able to play the rest of the season, but uh, Gary Tuthill made a, a thing called a toe piece. And uh, like I said, I, still, I have it back here behind me still that I was able to play and wear. And uh, that's how I played the rest of my career with that toe piece. But it was just a season that, you know, that started off slow. But when I got going, every week was 150, 130, 190, 200, you know, 105, I mean, 125. I mean, it was just, and that's how it goes. You, you have to keep it going. I mean, and, and the team was into, I mean, we wanted to win. That was the most important thing. But they want to try to get my yards, get those yards also. Because the guy said, we want to be a part of history. Now, did we think it would last this long for 37 years? I don't think so. But it has. Thank God. 
Well, and it may last for a long, long time the way the league's gone now, right? I mean, uh, you know, you were talking earlier about the money situation, but how how different would it be today? Uh, you know, because there are so few teams that line up with a fullback. Uh, there are so few teams that run the ball uh, a ton. I mean, but still, the the best teams that get to the Super Bowl are the teams that play defense that can run the football. So. What are your thoughts about today's game, Eric, in terms of how the running game's used? Well, it's frustrating because you hear it. Uh, you don't need a quarter. You need a running back. You know, you just throw the football. That's not true. The best teams run the football to play great defense. You know, you build a team with an offensive line or a defensive line. That's where you start your team, either one, you know. Um, and I feel like that if I was playing today's game and you gave me an offensive line to work with, like I'd use Derrick Henry, for example. You use him. You know, you've got the offensive line that he has and then the guy like likes to run the football. You're going you're gonna to win a lot of games. And if you got an adequate quarterback, you can do, you're going to do some good things. But if you have a great running back and a, big, and, a, and a great quarterback, oh, my God, it's going it's to be off the charts. It'll be off the charts. Nine times out of ten, both of those things don't line up like that in both ways. But you have to be able to run the football. I mean, you look at San Francisco. San Francisco, they, they, they do old school football. Oh, yeah. When they played us two weeks ago, they at one point got in the eye formation. We didn't even run the eye that much. Just a little bit. We ran one back set. You, they got in the eye formation and pounded us. I'm like, this is old school football. You know, they didn't ever go away from the run game. Run game wears the defense down. You know, look, throwing the ball for 15, 60-yard touchdown, those great catches, that's fantastic. It looks good. That's the next they want a lot of scoring, but to win football games, to be successful, is to wear a defense down. And, you and the Niners game. are probably one of the better screen teams in the NFL, too. Right. They're one of the, they're one of the best teams that you see guys take a five-yard catch and, right, and take it, make it a 25, 30-yard run. So I assume that you're glad that you came out at the time that you were able to play in the NFL in terms of the position of the tailback, because today, uh, rarely do you see a back get you know picked number one overall. Yeah, it's, it's, it's rare. It, you know, the thing is, it just depends on the dominance of the player. You know, you, you got you to gotta look at that part, too. I mean, I don't see a lot of backs that are dominant in the last 20, they say, maybe say that's the last 8 to 10 years. I mean, and that's what it comes down to. I mean, when you look at uh, Ezekiel Elliott, he was a first-round draft pick. You look at Derrick Henry, he was a first-round draft pick. You look at the kid, I can't think of the kid at, at the Giants. I say Juan Barkley, he was a first-round draft pick. You know, Zeke has had a great career in Dallas. Um, Derrick Henderson is having a great career in, in, in Tennessee. Um, Saquon Barkley struggling because of what the team he's on, the offensive line. If you if you ain't got those guys up front, a lot of things going bad things going to happen. You know, I, I think of a guy who he went in the first round draft pick, but I liked him when he came out of college. Joe Mixon in yeah. Cincinnati. I said, man, I like Joe Mixon. He said he's had a great career. I mean, it's, it just goes to show it. Teams, real football teams know how important running back is to the organization. Tell me about the 85 run. Uh, you guys you, you guys put it all together that year. Dieter Brock was your quarterback. Uh, took it all the way uh, to the championship game against the Bears. And, of course, it's probably not a surprise that anybody had trouble running the ball on the Bears. But uh, tell me about that season, uh, about about. Getting to the getting to that point, and uh, you know your goal, like you said when you came to the Rams, was to help them get to a Super Bowl, and uh, you got awful close that year. Well, I didn't held out that year. I didn't start this. I didn't. I missed two games that that that, that year. But 
you know, we had a really good football team. Uh, defensively, we were really good. And offensive, offensive line was really good. But one problem that, that I had, I think a lot of us had with the team was, is that we would not invest in a quarterback. And, you know, at that time, I think they went out and got Dieter Brock. I never heard of Dieter Brock. They had a chance to get Dieter Brock or Warren Moon. And, man, if we took Warren Moon, I just think things would have been a wow. whole lot different. whole lot wow. different. Uh, so um, the, the that that team was a was built on defense and and, and running the football. That's what it was. It, that's, that's what it's all about. Because Dito, I mean, I was gonna say Dito wasn't a great quarterback. Dito wasn't even an average quarterback. I mean, just, just make it explain. Matter of fact, we got in the playoffs. I think we played Cowboys. I think he had sixty yards passing in the NFC Championship game. He had fifty yards passing. So, and you just said it. If you don't have a a guy that can keep them off you, you know, and that and that great that 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 defensive line, defensive front that the Chicago Bears had was second to none. I mean, they would hit you, they would come after you, but the thing was, we were not afraid of them. We could block them. We just didn't have enough people, and we didn't have oh, a yeah. we didn't have a quarterback that could. And I always tell my friend Richard, then I said, man, if we had a quarterback, I said, man, we'd beat y'all. The Bears, that's the only time the Bears ever beat me because that game, because we played on Monday night in a Monday night football game the next year, the same football team, and we had a. Steve Deals was the quarterback. And Steve wasn't bad. He wasn't great. We beat him on a Monday night. I mean, I say y'all the same team. We just had a different quarterback. But that team was a really good football team. Really good football team. But once again, I say, we're missing one player. One. And that was a quarterback. Yeah. The, I mean, when you look at the Rams' history with quarterbacks, I mean, the fact that my father owns the touchdown and total career yards record says what you just said. Uh, you know, he was there 11 years. Uh, I think the closest one was Jim Everett in terms of longevity. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. What a lot of people, you know, looked at that first four or five years, um, as you said, great defense, great running football team. But as you said, you're missing that one important piece of the time, which was, a, which, which was, as you said, the, the, the quarterback position. Um, talk about leaving the Rams. Um, was it your intention to want to leave the Rams or was it a situation that you really just couldn't deal with it any longer? I just couldn't deal with it any longer. I, I, didn't want, I never wanted to leave the Rams. I won't forget one of the last meetings I had with John Shaw. I go down to meet him at his Pico office. And think about this here. It took me months to try to get a meeting with him. Now, can you imagine LeBron James trying to take, take him a long time to get a meeting with the general manager? <laughs> no. Or uh, Patrick Mahomes. To, to meet the German manager, it would, it would take a couple of hours, you know, we'll, we'll meet you at two o'clock, it took me a month. So, and, and that was John's job. John's job was to play us all off, you know, to, to keep us out of the front office and John, and he used John Robinson for that. Um, I will tell you that I was, I wanted to be a Ram forever. I did that, that's, I wanted to. And I went and talked to John and I told him, I said, look, John, I said, I led the league in rushing last year again, and I'll never forget his reply. And you know, John has that nasally voice. No, you didn't. Walter Payton did. I said, John, I led the league in rushing. No, Eric. I said, John, I led the league at 1,821 yards and 14 touchdowns. I might know what I had. And I'll never get his reply. Let, let me get the book and look. Oh, I was so pissed. I'm like, freaking asshole. So he gets the book. He said, Oh, you did. He, he knew I led the league in rushing. Come on, he knew. But that was just how that's how that's how they did things. So I said, John, you know, I said, man, I said, I, I said, man, this, this is unfair. I said, I, I, I played my country. This is unfair. But I'm, I'm getting paid. Well, Eric, you have a contract, and 
You know, he said, I said, John, but I said, I said, but it's not a contract. And really it was, you know how those contracts were. They were, yeah. the they were, they were for the team. So um, I said, John, I'll tell you what. I said, let's do this. I said, now this is how, this is how in a sense naive I was, but this is how, in a sense desperate I was. I said, I'm willing to go year by year. I said, if I rush for 1,500 yards or more, you pay me like a quarterback. You pay me the John Elway, the million dollars, and the Marino. I said, 1,500 yards or more, or if not, I go back to my old contract. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. Now, I'm betting on me. Now, think about that. Not, not, not 1,000 yards, not 1,200 yards, 1,500 yards. You know how hard it is to get 1,500 yards in the NFL? <laughs> difficult. I was willing to take 1,500 yards. She said no. And at that point, I said, I mean, this ain't going to work. I just knew it wasn't going to work. So, you know, I just started, hey, I just, yeah, the, report, the reporters would ask me something. I would just say something crazy. Like, I told, I talked to John, I talked to John Robinson about it. I told him, man, I'm just not happy here. I'm, you know, I said, I just don't think it's going to work. I talked to him and, and he asked me about the, where, where reporters asked me about Something about a game running 47 gap. I said, let John Robinson run 47 gap. He makes more money than I do. And he was. The coach is making more money than I was. And uh, and then that's when it just, things just got falling apart, you know. And it just got worse and worse. And where I really wanted to go to play was Washington Redskins because my cousin was there, Dexter Man. I'll never forget. I was sitting right in this office I'm sitting right now. He says, Eric, he called me and said, man, I heard we're trying to get you. I said, man, I know. And his reply was, Man, you know they ain't gonna let that happen. That's too much like right. <laughs> and, and John Shaw wanted to send me to Siberia. He wanted to send me to, to Indianapolis, you know, and try to kill my career, basically. Eric Dickerson's with us on the Roman Gabriel Show, RomanGabrielShow.com. Make sure you get his book, Watch My Smoke. He's got some great stories to tell and uh, really gives you a, a feel for uh, the life of uh, one of the great running backs in NFL history. And uh, so, Eric, what would your career look like? Do you think if you could have stayed with the Rams? Well, I'll tell you this much here. We did a show. Uh, me, Walter Payton, and Lawrence Taylor did a show. Remember, remember the show Coach? Yeah. It was on Coach. So we, we were back in the green room, and we were back there talking. And Walter said, hey, Eric, man, I want to thank you for something. And I'm like, I'm like, what? He said, man, I want to thank you for getting traded. I'm like, what are you talking about, Walter? He said, Eric. He said, man, you broke all the records. I said, oh, no. He said, Eric, let me tell you something. He said, I know. He said, you would have broken all the records, Eric. He said, it's too bad that they didn't pay you right. He said, because you would have broke all of them. I said, man, Walter, I said, man, thanks. I mean, because I felt like that. I felt like we'd have had all the rushing records in the National Football League, you know, bar none, if, if they'd have just, I mean, just did. It's kind of right. I mean, I was willing to take just, just if they'd have said, if they'd have said look, we'll make your, your, your base salary a million dollars. Oh, I just jumped on it. I didn't have to have a million five. I just said, okay, cool. Probably 800000 But, you know, they wanted to keep me at that 175000 200. And And I talked to my buddy, Richard Dent, not long ago. And I asked him, I said, Richard, I said, what were you making in 19? What were you making in 1986? He said, I was making a 950. I said, you know what I was making? He said, well, I said, I was making 375. He said, man, they had the greatest deal in town. Wow. <laughs> and Richard was undrafted. That was, that, that just goes to show how bad it was. And back then, you really didn't have the outlets to be able to put your message out there. 
Oh, you know, so the, the PR deal was coming like a tidal wave on you because, you know, you had a few outlets like the LA Times and you had beat writers that were regular writers. It really wasn't, really wasn't conducive to, as you said, players' rights and, and hearing out players. And obviously, John Shaw made a big mistake. Uh, but when you, when, when you think about your career, uh, you know, you went on to have a few good years with the Colts and uh, then had some injury situations that came your way. But um, what, what, do you, what are your fondest memories, Eric, of, of, of your NFL career in terms of, in terms of uh, moments for you that, that, that stick out? You know, I think the moments were um, for sure my, my rookie season, just having that rookie season as, as a rookie and uh, having a chance to play in the National Football League. I mean, and uh, the blessing that it was for things I was able to do for my mother. You know, I say that's why I played. That's why I loved it. But the the, the things that I was able to do for my mom, because my dad had passed, I was I'm grateful for that. The aha moments that I've, I had in the National Football League was when we played the New York Jets. I never forget. And um, Vince, we're breaking the hole, and Vince said to me, "If I don't see something downfield, I'm gonna come to you." And we, and it was in New York at Shea Stadium. The lights that came on, you know, it just it was getting it was getting dark. The, the, like the, the smoke around the top of the stadium. I remember it very vividly. It's like a picture in my mind. And broke um, and I ran a swing route. So I ran a swing route out to the right. And I remember Vince dropped back, and all I could see was his head going back and forth, back and forth. Like I said, I could see the horn turning. All of a sudden, I saw his arm come and throw the ball at me. And before the ball got to me, I'm like, wow. I'm like, man, I was just like, this is the NFL. And I was just like, that was, that was one of the most exciting moments for me in the NFL still to this day. I know 2,000 yards was great and everything, but that moment right there was like, like that, that was it. I mean, but I think about my, my 2,000 yard season. I think about the teammates I played with, all the friends I've made over the years. Uh, even going to Indianapolis, you know, the first couple of years, I played with my old coach, Ron Meyer, winning the uh, conference championship, winning, winning, the, winning, winning the conference that first year there. And, um, you know, just the fond memories. I mean, and then, you know, you, you always have, it's always got to be with the bad, you know, how things broke down here in LA with the Rams. And now I don't forget how we came back to play with the coach and they threw fake money at me and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, in Indianapolis, they put all the racial stuff up, you know, in the stadium. And, you know, th those are things that, you know, you, you, you don't forget, you don't forget. I mean, they want you to forget it or like, like get over it. I'm like, you, you don't get over that stuff. That stuff stays with you. Uh, for for a long time, forever, because um, some of the stuff they did in Indy, man, I just I can't forget it. I just I won't forget it. And and not like a girl I dated, we were best friends, and they 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 hung a banner. I never forget the banner. They hung a banner over the stadium with a a, a, a black baby of twenty nine, with fried chicken, you know, with watermelon on one side, money on the other side, holding fried chicken. And I won't forget. She said she said she said I started crying. She said this hurt me so much. I mean. Now, how are you supposed to forget that? They want you to forget that. You can't. Hey, this is Nick Ruffini from Revoice Media, and I'm the executive producer of The Roman Gabriel Show. We got involved with this show because we realized that Roman has a passion for educating the next generation, and we need your help. We need you to be a donor and go to soldouttv.com and donate, whether it's one time or an ongoing basis. Please help us educate the next generation by becoming a donor. Go to soldouttv.com and click donate. And remember, you can help us at the Sold Out Youth Foundation by donating 
text sold out 20 to 484848. That's sold out 20 to 484848 and help us help your students to stay drug and alcohol free. Welcome back to the Roman Gabriel Show. Check out more at romangabrielshow.com. Now, here's your host, Roman Gabriel. Eric Dickerson with us, uh, Pro Football Hall of Famer, Los Angeles Rams, and uh, now working for FS1 and Fox, and has his new book out, Go Get It, Watch My Smoke. Uh, Eric's got a lot of things to say, not just about the NFL back then, but about the NFL today. And uh, I I was going to say, you know, Eric, when we look at African-Americans this year, right now in the NFL, with all all the institutions that the league has put in for interviewing uh, you know, c- black coaches, and you fire a guy for the Dolphins for his, who wins eight out of nine games and seven straight, and everybody looks at the Miami owner like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. And you got one black coach left in the NFL, Mike Tomlin. You have all this talent, coordinators. There are a ton of, uh, of candidates out there that have the ability to be head coaches and great head coaches in this league. But why are we still having a problem with this after, you know, supposedly putting in these regulations or requirements to where that has to happen? You know, um, a lot of it has to do with, with who's in power. I mean, I, I really believe that who's in power. And you look at who's in power. Uh, the team is, the teams are owned by mostly white, all white guys, all white men. Uh, I mean, except one team, I think, Jacksonville Jaguars. And uh, who, who and who they feel most comfortable with, you know, you feel most comfortable comfortable with somebody that looks like you, or your buddies, guys you know, and they're quali- Some are qualified, some are not qualified. And um, you know, you hear pro coaches say, "Well, there's no such thing as racism in the NFL." I'm like, "Well, why in the hell we got a Rooney Rule for no racism?" I mean, that's right. that's a, that's that's a that's a joke in itself. Um, I just feel like it's never going to change until we have multiple black owners. Now, will that ever happen? I mean, because you have black owners that can afford a football team. They can, people can afford a team. But will they sell them the team? Will they get approved? That's what it comes down to. Because now, if you have multiple black owners, we're going to be like you. We're going to feel like we want people who look like us. We got, we got black players. We want to have a black general manager. We want to have black coaches. We want to, most of our coaches have to be black. You know, and I, was, and I guarantee that. I mean, what is this? That's unfair. I mean, because if we start winning, they start winning, then all of a sudden, they will have some rules for that. I mean, and, and you know, Roman, I'm, I'm like this. I just want fairness. I mean, I think that's what all black people want. It's not like we're not looking for anything special. We just want to be treated fairly. We don't want to have to put a black coach in a job like the New York Jets, the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, these bad jobs that you have no chance of winning. I mean, it's like, it's like, okay, we want you to go a hundred miles on a bicycle. We want you to do it in in, in, in two hours. It's impossible. And that's what it's like. You're giving us a, these impossible tasks to, to, to fulfill. You've got players that play, I'm going to use a defense. You have a player that plays de- a defensive player. He plays the defense. I'm a linebacker. I call all the defenses. I know the defenses. I can play the game at a high level. I'm all pro. I'm, I'm, I'm all this, but I can't coach the game. Why? That doesn't make sense. Because now I'm a coach and I'm white. And I'm just saying, if I'm white, I'm going to hire my buddies. I'm going to hire the guys that 
I went to high school with that guy. Come on, coach, you know, this guy will teach you, he'll teach you along the way. I mean, you got the, that's just the problem. That's just, and that's just how society is. You may call it what you want, but it is what it is. And I'll just say, you got to play the hand you dealt. And that's the hand we're dealt right now. And it's unfair, but is it going to change? No, it's not going to change because you can't make these guys change. You, you can't make them do something they don't want to do. I mean, it's not, they're not going to have, and I just said, they don't want a black coach being a face of an organization. They don't. I mean, and that's just, it's, it's the ugly truth. Last question, Eric. Um, what you just explained to me about your foundation of faith, um, obviously a great father who was an incredible role model, uh, mom, great aunt, uh, family uh, in your life. Um, how, how have all these things come together, Eric Dickerson, today in terms of raising a son and in terms of passing on this tradition to him? You know, a good question because I, I teach my kids just like my dad and mom taught me. Both, I teach all my kids. I have an older daughter that's 34 years old. I have a younger daughter that's 16, and uh, my son is nine. They stay, you know, they stay with us, me and my wife. And uh, I, I won't forget when my daughter was born. You know, she was of age. And, you know, I would tell her, say, look, you're not going to be that bad kid. You're not going to be the bad kid. They say, oh, here come that Dickerson kid. Because my mom would say that to me. You ain't going to be that kid. She said, I'll whoop your ass when you get home. <laughs> that's, that was the thing. And so, you know, I teach my kids, you're going to be respectful. You're going to say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Thank you very much. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to mistreat people. You're not going to bully people. And, you know, it makes me proud. I won't forget, I was in the grocery store one day. My daughter was about, she was about eight or nine, maybe nine years old. And the guy in the grocery store, Eric, man, he said, man, good to see you. I said, oh, thanks. He was just one of the black guys who worked because I talked to him all the time. He said, man, I cannot tell you something. My daughter walked away. He said, man, I just want to say, man, your daughter is such a respectful young lady. He said, man, y'all have done a great job raising her. I said, man, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. And I went back and told her, and I said, don't you like hearing that? She said, yeah, I do. I said, that's exactly. I said, that's why I'm, t- I'm teaching you those kind, of, those kind of characteristics. And my son, my son, the same thing. Um, he was his, his teach, one of his teachers wrote um, a letter to my, to my wife and said that he is the most respectful kid the nicest kid that she's ever teached in her 20 years of teaching you know and that made us feel good it really makes me feel good because you know i'm not a parent i don't believe in beating my kids but i will spank my kids i had to spank my kids years because i i, I started early you know i started early like well, hey, it only takes once right that, you go once or twice once or twice and they get it because you know and i got it early so i mean it's such a good feeling when people compliment you, compliment your kids. I mean, it's better than any award I've ever won when someone says something nice about your kids. So for me, uh, if you ever meet my kids, my kids are very respectful. I mean, they're going to be respectful. They're going to say, yes, no, ma'am, no, thank you very much. And that's just how, that, I think that's how people should treat each other. I mean, in life, I mean, it's just, this life is short, okay, okay, Roman. I mean, it's a short life. And I think that, the thing that you teach your kids and, and the thing that, 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 that when I look back, like I talked to my, my, my daughter when she was a little, she's bigger now. She was 16. My oldest daughter too. I would tell him, I would say, you know, I would tell him, I'd laugh and make stories up going to school with him. And she would say, dad, you're just, you're just the best storyteller. You're just the best dad. I said, oh, thanks. I said, I'm going to tell you something. I said, it's going to come a time when your dad ain't going to be here. He's going to be dead and gone. And they would always say, dad, I don't want to hear that. I used to say the same thing to my dad. 
I said, but you know what? I want you to remember these times. Remember when you're dead, when you can say, I'm 50 years old now. I remember my dad taking me to school and he told me a story about this. And that's, that's the things that, that to me life is all about. Eric, I work in schools and drug and alcohol education program for junior high and high school students. And, you know, with COVID over the last two years and the fallout of mentally and emotionally for what our kids are going through today, and I'm sure you've seen it with your kids as well. Uh, what, what would you tell kids, Eric, uh, out there who are struggling today uh, with uncertainty, anxiety, lack of hope, um, wondering whether they're going to get that same opportunity that you got or I had or anyone else? What, what would you say to them? I would say to a young man or a young lady that, you know, if there's anyone in your life that is giving you, they say, I'm, I'm trying to help you, a word of advice, listen to that person because they are trying to help. If you hear those words, I want to help you. I really want to help you. And look, it's, no one's perfect. I mean, no one, my parents weren't perfect. Your parents weren't perfect. But they do the best they can with what they have. And you have a person out there sometimes, it doesn't have to be a real, it doesn't have to be a real mother. It doesn't have to be a real father. It could be a friend. It could be a friend of a friend. It could be a, a, a parent of someone else that's really trying to help you in your life and lead you in the right direction. You know, I would say was, I know it sometimes if you say, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I, you know, they don't understand. They, they, they've done it too. They, they, they've been there. And they've done the same thing. My dad had a saying, another saying, he says, son, it takes a second to get in trouble and a lifetime to get out. Mm-hmm. And that's very much true because you make a bad decision, drugs, robbing someone, uh, driving drunk, hitting, kill someone. Don't take long. But that decision you just made has changed your life and has changed somebody else's life also. Well, Eric, this has been a great pleasure. Uh, and I know writing this book had to be extremely cathartic for you. And to look at your life now and maybe some of those difficult things, unfair things, some of the things that you mentioned in your book um, certainly has helped you wisdom-wise today in terms of dealing with your own kids. And, and you do so many good things uh, in the community. You've used your platform in a positive way. And uh, that's all we can ask for in life is to have that opportunity to influence others' lives. And it's been very exciting to to get with you today. And uh, please go out and get Eric's book, Watch My Smoke, uh, anywhere you get books, because he has some really important things to talk about. Not just football. He was a great football player, but uh, really has some great uh, things to impart in this book. So uh, go out and get it, Eric. I, I really appreciate you coming on and joining us on the Roman Gabriel Show. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you for having me. I want to say this to you. I, you know, I met your dad once a long time ago, and I was a big Roman Gabriel fan. I didn't play quarterback, but but I was a big fan of your dad, so I just want to tell you that. I was his biggest fan as well, and uh, uh, it's great to see the Rams uh, coming back in Los Angeles in the new stadium and uh, the chance and opportunity that they have this year to get to the Super Bowl. So, Eric, you're part of an incredible tradition of Rams uh, legends and Hall of Famers, and the, the organization, as you said, hasn't been perfect, but uh, – There's nothing like Los Angeles Rams football, right? You got that right. (laughs) You got that right. Eric, thank you, my friend. I appreciate you coming in. Thanks so much for listening to The Roman Gabriel Show. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a rating and review on iTunes, and be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. And remember... You can help us at the Sold Out Youth Foundation by donating 
text sold out 20 to 484848. That's sold out 20 to 484848 and help us help your students to stay drug and alcohol free. The Roman Gabriel Show is produced in partnership with Revoice Media. Executive producers Roman Gabriel and Nick Ruffini, audio editing by Justin Thomas, and graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music, entertainment, and sports podcasts, check out revoicemedia.com. Listen to The Roman Gabriel Show, Real show at romangabrielshow.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.